We've been talking uh, spiritual survival. How many of you know if you are in a place where you need a survival kit, there are things you need? And the first week we talked about fasting and how, how important that is because that molds our heart to hear from God in a better way. Amen? How many of you know fasting does not change God, it changes us? And, and it gets us in that place. Uh, the second week we talked about prayer and not just your devotional prayer, but true intercessing uh, session and getting, getting, standing between the living and the dead. How many of you know we live in a world, there's living and there's dead, and God is looking for intercessors. So if you miss that, I would go back and listen. Last week we talked about how vital God's Word is uh, in our life. That is our foundation. Amen. Can I say that again? That is our foundation. Anything that we do aside from that is unbiblical, so we want God's Word. Uh, today, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be right out. We're going to talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I don't know where everybody comes from. How many of you, let me just start out. How many of you know not everybody agrees with the, the doctrine that we embrace as Pentecostal, Spirit-filled, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And even in that, there's different understandings. And so uh, today... I've talked about this subject before, but today's going to be a little bit unlike any of those messages, mainly because of where I'm starting. Uh, many times previously, I've spoken about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I started uh, with the process of showing scripturally how the baptism of the Holy Spirit is biblical, how it is different than somebody that gets saved. When we get saved, how many of you know, and I'm just going to put the verse up here, everybody gets a deposit of the Holy Spirit, All right, everybody. If you've accepted Jesus in your, uh, as your Savior, and, and the Scripture says that He set a seal of ownership on us, put His Spirit in our heart as a what? How many of you know that is not an accidental word in there? There's a reason that God inspired Paul to use that word, a deposit, guaranteeing what is, what is to come. So because God's Spirit is in us, whether you ever experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit or not, you are saved, you are going to heaven. All right, I just want to put that out there so that we all uh, understand that. But that, I have spent extended time talking about that. And if you ever want to get a good foundation, I did do a series a year and a half ago called The Breath of God. It's on our YouTube channel. You'd have to go back to May of 2021. And, and I did a whole series. And one that I think is really important is three baptisms. I'm not going to get on, but, but that's that foundational stuff. So today... I'm moving past the foundational, and I'm kind of working with this uh, understanding that either everybody here either understands it or believes it, even if you haven't experienced it. Okay? Does that make sense? And, uh, and maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't really understand it. I don't really believe it. Uh, there's a reference point right there. All you got to type in is Freedom Church Cameron Park. Go into the playlist, and you can, you can listen for... Six wonderful hours right there. So uh, anyway, so today I want to start actually out of Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. And this is where John the Baptist uh, really makes an important announcement. Uh, he says this, he says, I baptize with water. So we all understand water baptism, am I right? So next week there's going to be some water baptisms. There's some kids that are getting baptized. Uh, if you're an adult and have not been baptized... Well, I guess all of you guys are adults in here, right? I'm looking. Okay. At least we are uh, physically, right? So, uh, uh, and you haven't been baptized, let us know, because we, we're going to do that next Sunday. 
Uh, but that is water baptism. It's a baptism unto what? For those that have repented of their sin, which means I have acknowledged that I've done the wrong thing, I've been going the wrong direction, and I repent. I'm turning, and I'm going the other direction. So that's what John's doing in the river. But he says this, he makes a statement, but there's another one coming greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or carry his sandals. And he says that he is going to baptize with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. How many of you know, we don't really talk about that fire a lot, but we're going to talk about it. Uh, Like I said, John was baptizing under repentance, but he says there's one coming that... That's going to be the Holy Spirit and fire. How many of you know it's not a fire of judgment? That's a different kind of fire, right? You don't want that kind of fire. But it was a divine fire, and I was thinking of ways to explain it, kind of like you know when you have a steam engine, you've got to have a fire in the furnace in order to get that engine going. That's the kind of fire. It's contained, and it gives you power to do the things that God has called us to do. So... Uh, I want us to look, first of all, and break down that word baptism, because we all understand what the word baptism means, right? If you ask most people today whether they have an understanding, they'll either think, depending on what denominational background, it's uh, getting dunked in water or getting sprinkled, right? Sometimes they call it that. But 2,000 years ago, this word baptism, okay, it's now identified as a religious word. 2,000 years ago, this was not a religious word. It was, uh, it, was symbol- it was used by the people that dyed fabrics where they take the piece of cloth right here and they dip it into the dye and then they bring it out. So that process back then was called baptized. And that sounds kind of weird to us, am I right? I'm going to baptize this piece of cloth in the name of the Father. No, that was, not the, that was not the whole process right there. It was just simply, oh yeah, I'm baptizing it. Because what was happening in this process is the cloth was going into the dye, and while it was in the dye, what was the dye doing was going into the cloth. Changing. Right, it was changing it. So when it came out, it looked completely different. It, wasn't the, it was still the same cloth, but it had a completely different look to it. And now if you think about Jesus, Jesus wants to dip us into the Holy Spirit and fire so that when we come out, guess what? We look more like him. Amen? Does that make sense? We will be completely different. Why? Because we've accepted the die of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Right? Does that make sense? So, so that word then was just a regular word, but now we understand it to be something different. And I believe, listen, I believe when you are walking in the fire of the Holy Spirit, you don't need the worship team to play two or three songs to get you warmed up, you know? Like by the last couple of songs, we're like, woo, you know, we're excited. But the first one, it's like... Oh, it's been a rough week, right? I, I hope they get something to fire me up. Listen, if you've got the fire already in you, you don't need to be fired up, right? Because right? you're already hot. And I believe that God's people are supposed to be invincible. Amen? Doesn't mean we don't go through battles and challenges. Of course we are. But the scripture says that we are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Some people may be a conqueror, but we are called to be more than that. How do we get to become more than a conqueror is because the Holy Spirit in us helping us to overcome the battles that we face in our mind, the battles that we face in our flesh, the battles that we face in the world. The Holy Spirit calls us to be uh, an overcomer, amen? Amen. 
And not only that, he empowers us. That's what the scripture says, Acts 1.8. And Jesus said this to his disciples. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. How many of you know that is not just like, man, I'm going to pump you up. This is a supernatural power that you can, it, it's not like God gives you, oh, you know what, I got more self-control, I got more self-control. No, it is a supernatural power to overcome whatever this world and whatever we experience. And listen, I speak from experience. Maybe some of you can too. I got saved, I got baptized in water, uh, but let me tell you, I waffled for two years. Because uh, I'm like, okay, I'm trying to do this, you know, and then my friends are drinking, and I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go do that, and, you know, hear a joke that's totally inappropriate, and I repeated that, and, uh, you know, I did not have the power to live what I wanted to live, and it wasn't until I received that baptism in the Holy Spirit that I saw my life really begin to change. Things really... Be, I wasn't perfect after that. Please, don't expect that. Uh, but I, I, I saw a marked difference in my life as a result of that. So uh, Acts chapter 2, I want to get into. But first, how many of you know... I just want to say this, because Acts chapter 2 is so pivotal to the rest of the New Testament. Why is that? Because if Acts chapter 2 didn't happen, how many of you know there is no Acts chapter 3... There is no Acts chapter 4, 5, or the rest of it. There wouldn't be any letters of Paul. There certainly wouldn't be Peter, because Peter would not have stood before a crowd had it not been the Holy Spirit in him, right? He denied Jesus between uh, servant girls, right? There wouldn't have been James, John. There wouldn't have been... Really, that would, could have been the end of the church. Yes, Jesus came. He gave his life, but then he gave us power to live it out. Because he knew we couldn't do it on our own. So Acts 2 really is that pivotal in the history of the church. We need that power. Listen, they needed the power back then. How many of you know we still need it? Amen? We still need it. So let me read these four verses out of Acts chapter 2. And uh, there's a lot in here. And sometimes we just kind of breeze by it. Nothing in this, I believe, is symbolic. There's actually things happening here. Because when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Amen. So we're going to break this down, okay? Number one, uh, the fire of God came. A fire came from heaven. And I honestly believe this, that God created you and I. Somewhere in our human heart, there is a fireplace, right? And that fireplace was created, I believe, only for the fire of God, not any other. You think, you know, I don't even want to get into the whole story, but, you know, there was a couple of people died because they were burning strange fire before God. We need the fire of God. And listen, even if you don't think that's true, I want to tell you, you have a place that the fire of God is built just for that, right? Right there. And I want you to notice that before the fire came, what did it say? The blowing of a wind, a wind came. And a lot of times as a church, we want to create the atmosphere, you know, some church, and I'm not saying anything bad, but they'll get the smoke machine and the moving lights and, uh, you know, all of that. And yeah, we have some lights and stuff, but how many of you know, when, when, when we just went through a few storms here, have you guys noticed that? What happened before those storms came was a violent wind. 
our little wind spinners were falling over, our windmill got wrenched, and uh, you know, lawn furniture was blowing over. Uh, the reality, when the Holy Spirit comes in, when that wind blows in, you don't have to create an atmosphere, it's already created. Am I right? We don't have to manufacture some kind of an atmosphere. And I believe that's part of the reason that wind, the wind changed everything. Like they were in the upper room. Think about it for 10 days. They're in there 10 days. They're seeking God. God, when is this? And, and, you know, probably after 10 days of praying all day long, would any of you guys be a little bit tired? Like, oh man, I don't know if anything's going to happen. But then this wind came and the atmosphere, I don't know if you guys felt it through the worship time. It was like there's atmosphere began to change, didn't it? That's that wind that we're talking about. And it may not be, you know, blowing like that. uh, But the Holy Spirit knows how to change an atmosphere in a place. Amen. And so that's what happened. And I don't know. I've heard somebody say this one time that the wind of the Holy Spirit had to come first to blow out all the ash and trash out of our fireplace. I don't know if that's true or not, but to make room for the Holy Spirit. But then it says, after that violent wind, they saw tongues of fire that separated. So this is not metaphorical. They actually saw, and we don't know, this is the only time that it ever happened. What did that look like? I've got a a picture here. I've seen a lot of different artists drawing, uh, but that would be weird, wouldn't it? You're in a room, and there's this fire, and and they saw. So it had to start out as one flame first. But it said that it separated, and then it became and landed uh, right above each person's head. I mean, I'd be like, slap it down. Fire sprinklers are going off or something like that. Uh, So we don't know, but there were 120 people in that room, and a flame on every head. That means that that flame separated 120 times. Like, we, what does that look like? I believe, I mean, there was a flame for every head. God, know, God knows how many heads are here today, how many heads may be watching online. And, and I believe this, if you have a head, Jesus has a flame for you. Yes. Amen. How many of you know you can live without an arm, you can live without a leg, but you can't live without a head, right? It just doesn't happen. And, and just like that separated on all 120 there is a flame for you and for I. And out of that 120, men and women were both there. How many of them were filled? How many got the flame? All of them, them, right? So here's the thing. When we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, sometimes people have this idea like, well, it's for some and it's not for others. Can I tell you, this is not a lottery. It's not for a select one or two or the super spiritual or anything like that. It's for everybody. God wants to give all to everybody. He loves all of us. Am I right? And some always think, you know what? Well, I tried. It just didn't work for me. Can I just say, keep pressing in. Do you think that Jesus, who gave his life for you and I, wants to hold back this gift from any of us? Doesn't want us to, I mean, Jesus is the baptizer. And I want to tell you, God doesn't have favorites like, oh, I'll give it to him and I'll give it to her, but not that person right there. Unless we're all his favorites, then then guess what? We all get it, right? So uh, another thing about this, uh, the tongues of fire came and sat. What was the tongues of fire? What what does it do? Uh, Number two, the tongues of fire, I believe, connected with the tongue of flesh. Right? How many of you know the flame came or the wind came and then the flame came and then all of a sudden they began to speak in other languages or in tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. And I want to tell you, I can speak from my own personal self. I need that tongue of, of, of flame 
connected to my tongue of flesh. Anybody ever have your tongue get you in trouble? <laughs> yeah, hands are up. And, uh, and listen, we, the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to speak the right things at the right time. We need that connection there. There are times, I need, I, I've got my own words, but I need the power of the Holy Spirit to empower me, amen? amen. And those tongues, listen, I'm not going into a deep teaching about it, but we know at Acts chapter 2, the languages that they were speaking were languages that they didn't learn and other people heard. So they were earthly languages, right? But there's also a heavenly language. Acts chapter thir- or 1 Corinthians 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, right? But I have not love. So there's a heavenly language. And here's the thing. The usage of that, if you speak in a language that you never learned before, uh, you may not understand it. Maybe you do. The reason is because there's somebody there that understands that language and God's doing a work in their life. So it's like a double miracle going on. You're speaking it, and they're understanding it. Uh, but if it's a tongue of angels, uh, nobody else is going to understand that but God. It's your spirit communing with God. Amen? So I want to give a testimony of somebody, and uh, Joshua knows who this is, Dr. Mark Rutland. He was, a, uh, I think I got his picture, pastor, missionary, author, president of two Bible colleges. He was at ORU while Joshua was there. And just an incredible individual but I wanted to read the testimony that was written up uh, about him. It says, when Mark Rutland, Dr. Mark Rutland was traveling to Mexico on a short-term mission trip, he was in for quite a surprise. With him on the trip were a few American ministers, a translator, a host missionary, and Jim and Helen Mann, that was his mother and father-in-law, that were there. Uh, it says, a few, uh, first few days, Rutland preached in some of the local rural churches with an interpreter's assistant. The Spirit moved, people encountered the Lord, but nothing unusual took place. And then one evening, a miracle happened. The group was scheduled to leave for a small mountain village to preach, but the interpreter didn't show up. Uh, Though the host missionary spoke some Spanish, their linguistic ability wasn't adequate to translate an entire sermon. Uh, Rutland only knew a few uh, Spanish phrases. Nevertheless, the group decided to make the journey, hoping somebody there could translate for him. When they arrived, they found the small church of no more than 70 people. There were no interpreters, so they decided to ask the church's pastor to preach. But before the pastor took the pulpit, though, Rutland decided to greet the congregation with a few memorized Spanish phrases. And as he spoke, he realized there was something else he could say in Spanish. At first, he thought he must have picked it up uh, during a previous service, but he just kept speaking. And the pastor, who knew Rutland couldn't speak Spanish, stood up and declared to the church that a miracle was happening. Uh, And uh, Rutland kept speaking. His father-in-law, who at that point was not a Christian, but he came with him on it, stood up in the back row and said, what are you doing? Like, like, what are you speaking there? And uh, Rutland just responded, it's the Lord. He goes, something's going on. It's a miracle, I think. And he continued to deliver the message in Spanish understanding the words he spoke and it was as if he now knew spanish and when he finally gave the altar call his father-in-law was the first to come forward and after returning home uh rutland's father-in-law joined a pentecostal church in florida and although rutland never took any spanish courses the spanish he spoke that day never left him that's crazy huh He's written like, I don't know how many books. I mean, just a 
just an incredible man of God. But that's what happens when the tongue of fire connects to your tongue of flesh. Right? God does things that are beyond our understanding. He gives you words of wisdom that are beyond your understanding. Am I right? He can give you words to encourage somebody. It's like, Lord, I need that tongue of fire to connect to this tongue. Amen? Amen. So uh, another thing, number three in your notes, it is for all people. I know I kind of touched on that, but think about this. If on the day of Pentecost, all of them like spoke, you know, Hebrew or something like that, and that was it, you might think, oh, well, this just must be the, for the Jews. But what does the scripture say? The scripture says that they spoke in all of these, I mean, all these people from around that known world were there and everybody was speaking these languages that they didn't know. And I think that says a powerful thing that when the Holy Spirit came, he came speaking all of the languages of the world. It is the ultimate proof of what happened 2,000 years ago is that the gospel was not just for the Jewish people. It was for everybody. All men, all women, everywhere. And let me say, we live in a day where everybody celebrates diversity. Can I tell you, that was ultimate diversity right there. The Christian faith really is the most, of all the religions of the world, the Christian faith is the most diverse. Because if you think, you know, Muslim primarily, that is a Middle Eastern religion, right? Yes, it's spread out a little bit, but primarily Asian countries, uh, Judaism, primarily Jewish people, but Christianity is all tongues, all tribes, all nations, right? You can go anywhere. Isn't that all? Yeah, we can give the Lord a hand clap. You know what that tells us about God is that God cares about everybody, God loves everybody. And, and listen, if we want to know something about the nature of God, you know, doesn't the scripture say that nature reveals the qualities of God? All we got to do is look at nature. And they say this, I didn't do the examination on this, so uh, that every tree on every, or every leaf on every tree is different, right? They may look generally the same, but all the veins are different. All the aspects of it are different. Uh, same thing is uh, with snowflakes, that there's not one snowflake alike. I don't know how many scientists looked at until they determined they must all be different. But uh, what that tells me, when we think about 8 billion people on this planet, not one person has the same fingerprint. None of them are the same. That tells me that God is a creative God. Amen. Right? He doesn't deal with duplicates. Uh, he only creates, creates original. And the point of that is that when the Holy Spirit comes and rests on your head, how many of you know it is specifically for you? It's going to be a little bit. The Holy Spirit fits your personality, will fit your character, will use you in ways that are going to be slightly different than anybody else. And that tells me that you can serve God like no other human being on this planet. Sometimes we're like, oh, so-and-so will do it. Oh, let so-and-so do it. You've got a unique gifting and a unique touch from the Holy Spirit that nobody else has. That's why I've heard people, you know, that when people, you have the prophetic gift. Well, how come it wasn't like this? Or how come it wasn't like that? Because it was a different person. God took the same Holy Spirit, but used the personality and all of that aspect. It's, uh, you can't duplicate somebody else's flame. Amen. And here's the thing. When, when, when I'm being used of the Holy Spirit with my personality and my character, and each one of you are being used of the Holy Spirit with your, then all of us together as the body of Christ uh, operates in its fullest context. That's powerful, right? It's not like you've got to have, you know, 15,000 people to make a difference. All it takes is a few allowing God to work together. And uh, in our men's Bible study yesterday, or Friday, 
we, uh, we covered this verse, and I thought, oh, man, that's perfect for where I'm going. Uh, it says, don't you realize that, I love this, all of you together are the temple of God. How many of you know all of us together? As an individual, yes, I am a temple of the Holy Spirit, but all of us together are the temple, and guess what? The Spirit of God lives in you. That's powerful. I, don't, I mean, if you begin to think about it, uh, so many times we operate without an understanding of the Holy Spirit in our lives or in our church, and we're just kind of trudging through, and the Holy Spirit is like, hey, I'm here. I'm here. Do you want to use me? <laughs> I'm here for your purpose. So uh, another thing I want to talk about, number four, is that the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you. What, what does the scripture say in John 14, 16, and 17? And I will, this is Jesus, I will ask and pray the Father that he will give you another advocate who will what? Never. Never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. Some versions say that he will be with you forever. So how long is forever? That's a long time, right? And this is important because I want us to understand that the Holy Spirit doesn't like come and go in your life. You don't have a revolving door that is there. If you're serving God and you continue, even though at times you still might make mistakes and sin, how many of you know the Holy Spirit's there with you? He won't leave you. Uh, how many of you know we can leave him? Right? That's a little bit different right there. But there's times that, and let's just be honest, is there times that you just don't feel the presence of the Spirit in your life? Does that mean he's not there? No. No. I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes we walk by our feelings and not by faith. Well, if I don't feel him, I didn't feel this and I didn't feel that. We are to walk by faith. Our feelings deceive us. Am I right? They come and they go. Uh, your feeling is not the gauge of whether the Holy Spirit is in your life or not. Amen. We have to understand. Even if you don't feel him, uh, even when I don't feel him, I have to remind myself, oh, Holy Spirit, you're still here. Whether I feel you or not. When I come to speak, if I'm, you know, sometimes it's just like an off day, like, oh man, I don't know. Let's get through this, Lord, help me. But it's like, wait a minute, Holy Spirit, I'm not feeling it, but I know you're here. So I can say by faith, Holy Spirit, uh, whether I feel you or not, I'm here and I'm asking you to use my words to, uh, to inf and whether it's not just preaching, how many of you know, you can be at your job and you're like, oh man, it's Monday morning. Anybody love Monday morning, right? You're dragging in there after you fought traffic and everything like that. And it's like, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm not feeling you right now, but I know that you're here. I know that you're inside of me and I need you to help quicken my mind, quicken my words, whatever it is. He's there. Amen. We need to live with that reality. Now, it is true that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. The scripture says this in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve. What we understand grief. It means to make sad. If, if you've been grieved before, that's a sadness. That's kind of crazy to me that I can make the Holy Spirit sad. But he says, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How does that happen? Well, you've got to look at this verse in the context of the passage that it was written in. This was uh, the Ephesians were still struggling making that transition from their old self to their new self. So I know nobody here has ever had that. Like once you gave your life to Christ, you were, you know, old man was dead and you never had a struggle again, right? Yeah, nobody's raising your hand on that. Well, this is what Paul says. It's not up on the screen, but it's Ephesians 4, 22 through 32. He goes, you were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Anybody ever still struggle with the old attitude? Yeah, yeah right? You're, this is what you're told. He goes, and to put on the new self 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And he says this, verse 25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. Sometimes we still struggle with telling the truth all the time. Am I right? For we are all members of one God, uh, one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. I've known believers still struggle with their anger. Don't raise your hand, okay? We already know who you are. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, don't give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his hands. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Just pausing on that one, okay? I'm not looking at anyone specifically. we got to watch the words that come out of our mouth. Only what is helpful for building other people up. And then that's where verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So when we allow the behaviors that were a part of our old person to, to manifest in our life, how many of you know we are grieving the Holy Spirit? Because he goes on to say, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind, compassionate to one another. So grieving the Holy Spirit is definitely a possibility. And let me tell you, when you're grieving the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be hearing the Holy Spirit. Right? Not until some repentance. Pastor Colleen on Thursday night at our prayer time, which I want to encourage you, if you can come to Thursday night prayer, but she brought this verse up. And uh, I don't know if I've ever even noticed it before. Isn't that crazy? That's what I was talking about last week with God's Word. I've read Amos I don't know how many times, and this just never stuck out to me until Thursday night. But he says this, The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. I know, chew on that one for a while, right? I've been chewing on it for a few days. Why did God speak that word through Amos? Because the Israelites were living in rebellion and in their old way, not submitted to God. So when you're not submitted to God, you're not going to hear the voice of the Lord. And so if that happens, I've got to repent. Yes, the Holy Spirit is there, uh, but I've got to repent of my sinful behavior, whatever that may be. So, but again, understand, even though you're going through that, so our immediate thing is if we're doing that, oh, God's Spirit must not be there. God's spirit must not be there. Remember David, when he committed adultery and murder, his psalm, Psalm 51, he says, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He didn't say, give me back your Holy Spirit. You know, he was feeling the guilt and he was feeling the Amos moment. Like, oh, God, don't. God wasn't going to take that. But it was like there was a repentance that had to take place. Amen. But the spirit, Holy Spirit, when he's in you, he's in you. Amen. And that's something else awesome about this verse. He starts out, he goes, I will ask, some versions say, pray the Father that he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. So guess what? Jesus prayed that we would receive the Holy Spirit. Now, how many prayers that Jesus prayed do you think God answered? All of them, them, right? All of them. Why do we think this would be any different? Jesus prayed for us that we would receive. Everybody say, Jesus prayed for me. And so guess what? The answer is there. Sometimes we just got to reach out and grab it. And it's like, oh, we want this, we want this. And Jesus is like, it's right here. It's right here. You're already getting it. So uh, number five, and I actually got six on there already too, but Jesus prayed for you. And second, uh, number six, you are filled with the full measure of the Holy Spirit. What are we talking about right there? There's a verse out of Ephesians 5.18 that says, Do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you guys 
No, that word being filled is talking about a continual uh, present operation that goes on in our life. So we kind of get the wrong understanding when we hear that. And I've actually heard people say stuff similar to this. Well, you know what? I've leaked out of the Holy Spirit and I need to get a refilling. I need to get touched back. I need, you know, like, listen, it's been a long day. I've already used up all my Holy Spirit today, so you better watch out. How many of you know that's not how it is? The Holy Spirit is not like gasoline in your tank. You don't got, well, I'm only three quarters of a tank. You don't have three quarters of the Holy Spirit. You don't have half a tank of the Holy Spirit. You're not like, I'm running alone with the Holy Spirit. I better get a fill up. Listen, being filled with the Holy Spirit is, uh, and I believe it's more of us living in awareness and submission to the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? We have the Holy Spirit. We have all the fullness, uh, but I need to live with that awareness of the Holy Spirit. There's a song that we uh, sing from time to time, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. How many of you guys remember that? There's a part in it that says, let us be more aware of your presence. The Holy Spirit is always here, but sometimes we're just in our own world, right? We're doing our own thing. So really, I believe this is more being filled with the Holy Spirit like that is living your life in awareness of the Holy Spirit in your life and, uh, and, and, and acknowledging that, submitting to that. You cannot have a partial filling of the Holy Spirit any more than you can be partially saved. Well, are you saved? Well, I'm kind of saved. I'm half saved. No, you're either saved or you aren't. It's not like God's going to take your right leg and put it into heaven. Well, he was only 25% saved, so uh, the rest of them's going. You, it doesn't happen that way. It's like married people. Even if you have, if there's a bad marriage and, you know, one's only given 25% to the marriage and the other one's given 25%, uh, guess what? They're coming up short. It's probably not a good marriage, but how many of you know, even though they're only committing 25%, they're still 100% married? Right? You're still 100% married, whether you like it or not. And, and you may only be 25% committed to allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life and be aware of that. But guess what? You still have 100% of the Holy Spirit in you. Amen. Right? You are still filled. We just need to change our attitude and our awareness to realize, man, God is in me. His spirit. Tomorrow morning, if you get stuck in traffic or whatever's going on or, you know, your electricity goes out and you're frustrated, how many of you know, you may not feel the Holy Spirit, but you've got, uh, you are completely filled. And we've got to turn our attentions. Listen, the disciples never went back to the upper room. Like, oh man, let's do our stuff, you know. And it's like, woo, I'm running low. Let's get back to the upper room. Get a fill up, right? Get the, get the gas tank out. No, they went out and lived it out. Like Acts chapter, when you read that, the Holy Spirit coming in Acts 2, that was the fulfillment of the prayer that Jesus prayed and the promise that the God the Father made. And the Holy Spirit came, filled the 120. All of them began to speak in unknown languages as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And listen, I believe that same Holy Spirit, we were singing that same God, the same Holy Spirit that was then 2,000 years ago is here today. Same Holy Spirit. One more. Uh, here's another thing I wanted to cover that sometimes people battle with this problem. So I just want to ta uh, attack it and let you know we feel like we're not good enough. All right? I'm just not good enough to receive too much. I got too much baggage. Uh, the Holy Spirit is able to come and live with us. Why? Because we've already been cleansed by the blood of Christ. Amen. 
If you and I are standing in our own goodness, how many of you know none of us deserve the Holy Spirit? None of us are good. The Holy Spirit is given so that we can have power to run this race that we are in, to live with that power. Listen, if you ran a marathon, anybody here ever run a marathon? Oh, wow, that's impressive. Anybody else? A couple people? Uh, I haven't. So, uh, <laughs> But if I were to run a marathon, when do you need the power to run that marathon? Do you need it at the end of the race? In the middle of the race? No, you need it to begin the race. Listen, I, I do some running and I do it on a treadmill, and a lot of times I just don't want to do it. Anybody with me? I don't have, eh, okay, I'm going to get up there and do it. I need that power just to start. And so God is not going to wait for you to reach some level of maturity for you to finally get there. Oh, they're finally there. Now I'll give them my Holy Spirit. No, we need the Holy Spirit from day one. We get saved, we're a candidate for the Holy Spirit, amen? And you don't even have to understand it all. Some people are like, well, I don't really understand this. And especially if you were taught something else. If you were taught, oh, that went out with the apostles, that doesn't happen today. Let me just say this. You don't have to understand all the ins and outs of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the Passover lamb in the Old Testament, how Jesus was a fulfillment of that in order to get saved, do you? Well, I don't understand. Passover, what is that? You know, you, all you got to know is, man, I'm a sinner. Jesus came, died on the cross for my sin, and if I accept him, I'm saved. Amen. You can learn all that other stuff later, right? And the same thing is true with the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't really understand it. I mean, I took a class in Bible college. It was hard. It was uh, basically the theology of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I, I think I, ha I don't even know if I learned anything at the end of it. But uh, you don't have to be saved to understand it, the Holy, the Holy Spirit's in feeling. You just have to know, listen, uh, I got saved. I need more power. That's kind of where I was. I was like, Lord, coming to God, just openly say, God, I don't really understand all this, but whatever you got, I need it. I need everything you got. Anybody like, you know what? I only need a couple. I just need to be saved. I'm good. No, I need everything that God has. The Holy Spirit, he's not like some reward because you obtained anything. Uh, I think I have this on here. He is an, uh, he's your enablement to run this marathon. You can't really do it effectively without him. Other than like, you know, I've seen some people run a marathon and by the time they finally got to the end, they're beaten and battered and scarred and not going to walk for the next two weeks or something like that. With the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, you can finish just as strong as you began. Amen? With even more power. He is our enablement. So today, like I said, Jesus is here. Uh, the Holy Spirit is here. There are only two conditions, and only two conditions to receive the Holy Spirit. Are you ready for it? Two ones. What are the steps? What are the steps? I hear people all the time. What do I got to do? Well, number one, you got to be born again. God is not going to fill you if you've not submitted your life to Christ. You've got to know that your sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Amen. I am pure because, not because of my good works, but because Jesus made me worthy and qualified for the Holy Spirit. So if you've not given your life to the Lord, that's number one. The second one may not be what you're thinking, but it's just simply faith. Without faith, what can we expect from God? What does it say in Hebrews? If without faith, it's impossible to please God. i got to have faith. That means when you ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you, ask God, guess what? You don't have to beg. 
Oh, please, God, please, 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 please fill me with the Holy Spirit, Lord. Listen, you don't have to convince God to do something that Jesus already prayed for you to get. It's just a matter of faith. It's, it's like, it's not pleading. It's just receiving what God has. Listen, if you have to beg, can I tell you, that's actually unbelief. If you have to beg, you're not trusting that God said what he said he would do. You're like, oh, okay, uh, God, can you do it? Listen, any, people don't beg to get saved. Listen, receive Jesus. If you believe with your mouth and confess with your heart, wait a minute. You know, I got that backwards, whatever. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. We don't have to beg, God, but will you please save me? And yet we do that with the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, please beg. No, it's just by faith. Listen, if, 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 and I told the first service, several people are asking me for 20 bucks, but if I told you, listen, I'm, I promise that I'm going to give you 20 bucks at the end of this service. And I identified who I'm going to give it to. I'm not going to give it to anyone, so I'm not saying anyone specific. So don't come ask me for 20 bucks. But if I said, uh, I promise I'll give you 20 bucks at the end of service. Are you going to have to come up and beg for it? No, because if I said it, I'm going to give it, right? And, and let me tell you, God is more faithful than I am. If God promised that, it's something he's going to do. You don't have to beg for it. And Jesus already promised us the Holy Spirit. Amen? We don't need to persuade him. He is here, I believe, even now ready to give his spirit. It's faith in the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Lord, thank you that you don't count my sins against me. And then it's just faith. Okay, God, it's just receiving it. He's right here. Yes, we put up mental blocks. You know, the challenge that I think some people have in receiving that gift is that they have to overcome bad teaching. Am I right? Would you agree with that, Pat? <laughs> I have to overcome that. And so there's a mental game that's going on in my head. Well, I was told this and I was told that. The second thing that you have to overcome is, is I think, just humility. Oh, I don't want to do anything that's weird. I don't want to do anything that's weird. But if you're like, okay, God, you promised me empowerment to live this life. And let me tell you, the power that he gives us, can I tell you this about the power, the, the Holy Spirit living? Uh, anybody have any idea what the appendix does in your body? <laughs> yeah, yeah we but we don't really even know. I mean, they're like, you can live with it, you can live without it, right? Sometimes people treat the Holy Spirit like an appendix. Yeah, he's in me. I don't really know what he does, you know. Uh, but can I tell you, the Holy Spirit inside of you not only probably treats the bad stuff, helps us to make good choices, but he's the one that gives you the power to speak a word of encouragement into somebody's life that you don't have any idea what's going on in their life. The Holy Spirit is the power that, that, that fills you to where you can go lay hands on somebody and they can actually be healed. Right? It's not like, ooh, I'm the healer, you know what? None of us are the healer. He's the healer. But the Holy Spirit, amen, the Holy Spirit working inside of you gives you the ability to see the miraculous to overcome like when you're struggling with your thoughts and you're like oh god you know i'm giving that but if we submit that to god god gives us the ability to begin to think in a right situation and so it's the ability to do the things that god not just the miraculous thing it's for you to fight your battle the holy spirit comes alongside that scripture says advocate one of the definitions is one who comes alongside 
And it's like sometimes we live our Christian life as though we're doing it all by ourselves. Let me get the willpower. Oh, I'm not going to do that. Oh, I'm not going to do this. Oh, I better do this. God, help me love that person. I'm, I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them, but I don't like them. How many of you know it's not a matter of willpower? It's like the Holy Spirit wants to come alongside of us and help us live victoriously. So it's time that we stop treating him like the appendix and say, no, you are the heart. I need that fire of God in my heart to do the things that God's called me to do and not just to kind of struggle by. I don't want to get to the end of my race, look like, man, what happened to you? Right? Look what the dog drug in, right? That's not what God's called us. He called us to go through victorious, like reigning champions. Amen? Like the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, sorry, I wasn't going to mention that. God's called you to be more than an overcomer. And I want to, as we're going we're gonna to have some prayer time, but I want to give you a verse. Jesus was teaching about prayer and the persistence of prayer. And he's saying, you know, knock and keep knocking, ask, keep asking, and the door will be open. How many of you guys remember that out of Luke 11? But then he kind of turns it a little bit at verse 11. And he says, you fathers... If your children ask for a fish, will you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, are you going to give them a scorpion? Of course not. He says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How many of you know we got a good father? So I'm just going to have everybody stand up. You know, I know we have prescribed ways that we... Oh, I need to have somebody place their hand. How many of you know you don't have to have anybody touch you to get, receive the Holy Spirit? You can, but you don't have to, right? You can be, you know, we've had testimonies of people in their bathtub just saying, God, I just want everything that you want. And God filled them right there. And they began to speak in these other tongues like, whoa, what's happening? And so there is no rule of how that's supposed to happen. I think other than just a hungry heart to say, God, I just want everything that you have. God, I want everything that you have for me. I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live this life just trying to do it on my own. Just kind of trying to struggle through. God has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, not just as the deposit to guarantee that he's going to come. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. But he's called us to live victoriously in every aspect. Amen. And so uh, I know we've got some prayer people that, that will come up and pray for you. Uh, Pat and Sean over there and James and Robin. And, and I don't know, Doris, would you mind coming up over here? Uh, listen, if you need prayer, if you want someone to put their hands on you and pray, uh, we're going to do that. But if you, know, you can be right where you're at and receive. Just say, God, I, I want what you promised. And so we're just going to take a few minutes. I, I, I didn't have any idea what time I would end, but I ended early. So, uh, so that we don't have to rush out of here. Can we just take a few minutes and allow the Holy Spirit? And if you say, God, I want everything you got, let's just make that a prayer. Amen. And begin to praise him. If you want some prayer, if you want people to lay their hands on you, uh, we're here. Amen. So uh, Pastor Timothy, if